Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi, and welcome. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio. I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape of work through visual devices and visual mini-systems. That is, how to install the language of our current, the details of our current level of operational excellence, even if we're not quite as excellent as we wish we would be or as we know we will be. When we make that level concrete and specific through visual devices, through visual mini-systems, we can literally see how we think, how we operate completely, and we can predict how that thinking will function because we have captured it physically in devices. It's a marvelous reflective platform. It is built-in PDCA. And why do we bother? We bother because we get enormous improvements in bottom line. It improves safety, better quality, more aligned delivery time, shrinking costs, huge savings, cost savings, direct cost savings. And we also get a splendid cultural alignment, a spirited and engaged workforce on all levels, including you. (laughs) And you know what else? We enjoy ourselves at work. We go to work and we flow. And that is enjoyable. And when we flow, the work flows with us and we do very, very good work. It's called high performance. The enterprise becomes increasingly conscious, fluid, self-aware. Oh, boy, oh, boy. That's what this show is about. This show is looking at all aspects of that. The visual workplace is a strategic transformation of the entire enterprise. It is the language of the enterprise made concrete and embedded. So we're going to jump in, but I am adding something. As you know, we have been working through my operator-led methodology called Work That Makes Sense. We're using the framework of my book, Work That Makes Sense, as a guide, as the, the arc following the chapters. In the last show, we completed Chapter 3, which was about the implementation toolbox. It was going through Vision Place, the hit list, uh, the blitz, the utilization of improvement time, the use of the laminated map to help us focus and decide where to begin and keep track of our progress. So these are implementation tools. The first three chapters, and we'll say the first three modules because these map, these chapters map exactly to the online training system, which is now available through the Shingo Prize. We're so proud that they're sponsoring us and that they've blessed us with their approval. But you can also get them on our website, visualworkplace.com. We, that online training system maps exactly to the book. So, 
The methodology doesn't begin until the next module, module four. Up until then, it's in, it's information, it is concepts, it's inspiration, it's giving people an understanding that visuality is everywhere already. Why not in the workplace? It is also, it has set forth the building blocks of visual thinking so that you have a clear idea of eye-driven, need-to-know question, need-to-share question, clear idea of, um, I beg your pardon, procedural standards and specification standards and how important it is to get clear and to embed those through visual devices, the six core questions, the difference between motion and work, the virulence of the enemy, which is information deficits, missing answers, motion metrics, et cetera, et cetera, the eight building blocks. But the building blocks are not, do not represent a methodology. They're not a step-by-step of how to transform. They are a an array to understand the thinking that will enable you to transform because you'll be able to look at your workplace differently. And then the implementation toolbox, which I just mentioned. In Chapter 4, we begin a big chunk of the methodology that precedes getting visual. And that chunked methodology is smart placement built on the premise that the location of function will create the flow, but it will also create the anti-flow. It will create struggle based on where you locate function. And in most companies, in most departments, in most cells, whatever your work is, whether it's purchasing or it's welding, the location of function will impact the amount of actual work you get done during the day. And the premise is you, you, you come to work to work. You're an honest person with integrity. You don't come to slack off. You actually want to accomplish something. You want to be a hero at work. We talked about that several months ago, about people come to work to be heroes. That's the job of management, to help people attain that, to help feel that, help them feel that completeness and that contribution. We are beings of improvement. The mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. That pattern is improvement. We find a pattern, and then as soon as the mind recognizes that first level of pattern, it may take a moment to appreciate it, saying, wow, I really understand this, but then the mind will, may I say, involuntarily Or another way to say that is automatically put things together in a new way. Find the next level of pattern. The mind is naturally curious. I want to say it differently. It's not that it's naturally curious, but the pattern-seeking mechanism of the mind is built in hardwired to our brain function, to our involuntary brain function. That is true of me. That is true of you, it is true of every CEO, it is true of every operator, it is true of every human being, whether they work or don't work. Whether they're the queen of the May, or they are the hardest working welder in the entire world. Their brains, our brains, are hardwired to seek pattern. 
the involuntary part of our brain, involuntary as our heartbeat, is sight dominant. It is continually seeking to find and interpret visual data. So we're always scanning the periphery. We're always scanning the perimeter. The least accurate frame for our eye-brain function is that which is straight ahead of us. We are super sensitive to what is on the periphery on the left or the right. And that will draw our attention immediately. Another way of saying that is that which we don't understand, we notice. I mean, there's a certain amount of brain acuity, but that functions in all of us, and some of us have built that muscle so that we're very, very capable of noticing differences and giving those differences a valence and making much of it, exploring it, discovering it. That's the curiosity about it. It's an appetite. And it's an appetite that can be enhanced and amplified. That's part of what we do when we train visuality. We develop, we feed the flame of curiosity. We make people interested in their world because the world is interesting. And because it's so responsive to what our brain and our mind wants to seek in understanding. We seek to understand. Okay? So... We take our understanding of that basis. I very much built this into the methodology. In fact, the methodology taught me more and more that I was on the right track when I created these modules called Smart Placement. There are four modules, and they look at, they study, they analyze the layout of function against the background understanding that Function plus location, the location of function, will determine the flow. The speed of the flow, the direction of the flow, the complexity of the flow, and within that flow is either safety or complexity and therefore non-safety. Within that flow is either the deliverance of work content or the struggle to do that. In the visual workplace, we are stating quite clearly that the unseen barrier of missing information is the enemy. It is an enemy that is unnamed in any lean context whatsoever. Any of the lean methodologies, the JIT methodologies, it shares in common the importance of flow. Ono said it, flow where you can, pull where you must. Kanban is adaptive. It is not natural. It is adaptive. You create the, vo- the, the vacuum. You starve the vacuum. You starve the, you, uh, sorry, you, star- you starve the material and a vacuum is created and that pulls if you're ready for it. Flow where you can, pull where you must. It's, so, so, it's fantastic. But, Lean and the huge array of strategies around that do not address information deficits. The one that gets closest to it, but it is not a bingo, is TWI, which never began as part of a lean strategy. You know, it came from World War II. It was because we were so critically in need of understanding work content 
that the military stepped in and said, okay, we're going to understand content by identifying its elements, standardizing, creating modularity, creating repeatability, reliability, because you know what? We don't have time. We are already late. So that happened really fast. And this marvelous TWI, Training Within Industry Methodology, was born, was developed, was utilized, and it came back to us about seven or eight or ten years ago. It was quietly in the in the filing cabinets of our um, bureaucracy, of our military, somewhere in the Smithsonian, the dusty corners of the Smithsonian, came forward, and it, it's very important for industry, but it doesn't address information deficits. It doesn't address the microtransactions, the negative microtransactions that mean that are the triggers for the struggle, the nameless struggle, the invisible struggle. The enemy is invisible. Information deficits are by definition not there. Missing answers are by definition not there. But they cast a shadow, a residue. Sticky stuff. It's called motion moving without working. We learned about that in the eight building blocks. But what we're going to do in smart placement is we're going to find the motion that is triggered by unsmart placement. And there's a technology to this. And we teach our operators, our value-add associates, to find it. And man, they find it. They dig in, they find it, they own it. That's module four. And module four is really where we do the investigation of motion of the current layout. And there's a technology to it. That's where the methodology begins. It's very, I don't want to say lockstep because I know that you may misinterpret it, but it, the, the, the steps are very clear. And then in Module 5, we present, and by the way, Module 4 is a form of mapping, Chapter 4. Chapter 5 is another map, but it is a dream map or it could be map. I never call it an ideal map. That's much too lofty a goal. It's just a better map. It is the extent to which the operator can Imagine through learning can devise, I should say, design a better layout and validate it with some restrictions. There are some, you can't touch that one. We call them yellows. Anything that is dangerous to move or too heavy or needs to be authorized, too complicated, it's wired in, or you need approval, you need permission. Anything else you can... You can move, but the yellows, you need authorization. So I'm giving you a thumbnail of this because actually today is not going to be about Chapter 4. It's not going to be about the first map because I was thinking about how to make this successful for you so that you're really learning something useful. And what I want to do is talk about the training function. I want to talk about how to 
take this methodology seriously and train it well, and in training it well, be the anchor to the transformation. The transformation happens in the training room based on the growing skill of the trainer and the training function. When we train trainers, we watch and we coach and we we actually demonstrate. One of us will do the first cycle, but we won't do the second. Second cycle, one of the trainers in your group stands up and does what I or Annie or Brett has done. We've done it very, very well, and we have a lot of plates spinning in the air, and we teach you how to do it adequately well, and then get very good at this. It becomes the trainer's own journey of discovery, curious more than curious, Um, what's a word for this? Driven. Driven to be an excellent, a most excellent trainer. To create an appetite in others and to support that. And to do, which is so important, to do your homework. So you're completely prepared for the change that you're teaching because you've already found that change. You have found a minimum level of that change. Before you teach, you do your homework. And if you can't find it, then you postpone the training. You can call us. You can get your buddies together. But you find the change you are going to teach before you teach it. If you can't find it, how do you expect your operators to find it? You're not telling them the answer. You're not, um, um, what is the word, uh, uh, you know, spoiler alert, where you give it all away when you, in, a, in a movie. You're not doing that. But you are prepared to listen to the opportunities to shift the attention to something that you know will pay off. Anyway, the point here is, Because we are starting the methodology, we are also starting the training function in earnest. And the ability of your trainers will be a powerful factor in the success of your implementation. Trainers come into the training function with a kind of, most of them with a kind of attitude that they can train lean so they can train visual. But I've not found that to be true. Even though lean has huge financial implications for the company, it is not a grooming mechanism to help people cultivate their thinking their analytical thinking and their creative or solution thinking beyond a certain point. Visuality is different. 
visuality and visuality we're developing a language and that language is a language that operators speak and they recognize their devices because the language is their own when you do an assessment of a visual workplace you see the level of thinking ah there's so much to be shared here i can just feel about five or six different um cards being flipped in my mind simultaneously and i want to stay I want to stay coherent. I want to walk you through this. And I'm prepared to do that. So I want to begin with this episode. A sharing of the training function as I do it and as I teach it. As I teach professional trainers who are our certified affiliates. As I teach professional trainers who are your ACE trainers in your company. And as I teach new time trainers, new time trainers, first time trainers, young engineers, young supervisors, old supervisors who want to do this, who want the challenge. You know, one of we have helped many organizations build their OPEX, their OPEX function by beginning with work that makes sense what I call doorway one, in companies that don't have an OPEX function. You can easily use the infrastructure that we talked about over the last two or three episodes, the infrastructure as the base infrastructure to build a highly viable, highly functional operational excellence function in your company. And... The emblem that we use temporarily, that we offer to you temporarily until you find a kind of slogan or logo or a purpose of your own in a few words, is this. And it applies equally to how we train operators and how we train trainers. We say this. We say, we grow leaders. We grow leaders. If a company comes to us and says, will you come and help us transform our company? I will say yes, and I, and I will say somewhere along the way, somewhere in our proposal, it will say, we grow leaders. Somewhere along the way, I'll say, Mr. and Miss CEO, VP of Transformation, whoever you are, the purpose of these methodologies is not just to give you a better work culture, It is to grow leadership. We say in every, on every level of interaction, our job is to grow leaders in your company. Those leaders may be operators and they will be, to begin with, self-leaders and they will grow and need more scope and then they will learn to lead others. So the whole model of visuality, of the 10 doorways, of doorway one work that makes sense, is to grow leaders. And it it is the same in trainers. So many stories of coordinators who also train visuality. Remember the three-legged stool? The accountability mechanism for your infrastructure, 
First leg is management champion. Second leg is the visual workplace coordinator, assisted by the lead team. The third leg is the steering team or group of operators who volunteer to come together usually once a week for 45 minutes and keep their eye on your progress management. <laughs> Give you marks on are you doing it are you doing it better than the last time? <laughs> they all become leaders. They all own they own the problems and they want they want to own the solutions. That is, they want solutions to come out of their encounter with problems. And they know, they know that others need to be involved. This is not a selfish, ego-driven, arrogant, I'm the top guy, I'm the top girl, I'm the leader, I'm the king or the queen or the emperor or the dictator. (laughs) This is leadership of the first order. This is Barracuda leadership. I spent 13 shows talking to you about leadership in the fall. And a Barracuda leader is called a Barracuda leader because they're always hungry. They're always hungry. Lunch for them is the problems. The big ones that you can see and the invisible ones that are ready to bite you when you're not looking. On the inside, they're always hungry. And on the outside, they learn to be nice as pie. Diplomatic, smooth. I was just, I was just talking to someone very, very dear to me, who works in my company. I'm just reaching for something that I shared with him this morning, and he's a young man. He's a good person, but he's young to the world, and I'll call him Dave. And I said to David, I said we had a conversation yesterday, where he was supposed to, you know, help the company with a, a problem, and I said, but David this direction doesn't make any sense. And he said, well, you said you didn't like it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I I, I was telling you about the solution, the different solution, and you said that you didn't think that was going to work. And I said, well, you know, we were having a conversation, and I didn't think it was going to work. And and he said, well, you're my boss, so I got to do what you you tell me to, and I thought, and I said, I said, oh, dear, David, please, that'll get you fired. In this company, that'll get you fired. What use are you to me if all you do is agree with me? I'm the least technical person outside of the field where I do have a gift. When I enter into your field, I'm woefully ignorant. I'm just voicing opinions. I'm trying to prod. I'm questioning. You can't be obedient to me. He said, but it sounded like you were saying no. I said, well, even if I said no, you have to say something else back other than okay. He didn't know what I meant. And it was so interesting. And I I thought about it after our conversation, which happened yesterday morning. And the, the point I'm making is the kind of awakeness that the leader has to have in order to help other people grow. And I said, he doesn't have any alternate behavior. He simply has, he's too young to know that there are other ways to respond to no than simply yes. Okay, boss, anything you say. He just doesn't know what the words are. So I I met with him this morning. I said, hey, David, I'm going to type this up for you. I'm going to send it to you. I want to give you seven ways 
to not say yes and be comfortable with saying no because it sounds so smooth. So here we go. So I'm just going to give these to you, okay? Maybe you can use them. I said, now, David, listen to the, listen to, this is your voice talking to Gwendolyn, me. And when I say something that you don't agree with or you see that I'm about to make a decision, I'm making decisions on your recommendation, and I don't accept your recommendation, here are seven things you can say, and I'll send them to you on an email. But you can write them down. So here's one. Here's a way to say no to me that I won't be offended. You know, I'll hear the no in it, the N-O, but it won't be yes. I'll, I'll know that you're, you're not saying, yeah, boss, let's do that. Here's, this is your voice, David. Hmm, I wonder if we might be missing something here. You say that when I'm talking out of, you know, out of a paper bag. When you know that I'm ignorant or when you know that I'm just stressed out and making noise, I wonder if we might be missing something here. And I'll say, what do you mean? And that, that's what you want me to say. And then you say, blah, 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 blah. Here's a second way to say it. Gwendolyn speaks complete nonsense. I feel myself, you're, I'm David. With I'm going to force be forced to say yes, even though this is so wrong. And David says, instead of yes, he says, hmm, I, I think I see things slightly differently. And I say, what do you mean? And then there's your chance. Here's another way. Number three, I think there may be other considerations. What do you mean? That's me. What do you mean? <laughs> Or this one, which is very careful. <laughs> ah, I see your point, Gwendolyn. And would you also want to take the following into consideration? That's being very careful. And here's number five. Hmm, I wonder. Hmm, I wonder. And I'm giving him this, and I can feel him say, oh, yeah, I mean, that gives me different ways to say no without sounding like I'm crossing the line, which I'm afraid to right now because I'm so young, I'm supposed to say yes to all the adults in the room. This is David. He's a wonderful young man. And here's a strong one. Gwendolyn, you know, it's hard for me to kind of agree with that. What do you mean, says Gwendolyn? Or here's, here's a really cool one. This is number seven. David, you can... Say this, hmm, that'll do it, hmm, (laughs) he said, okay, this is great, because I realized he didn't have any alternate behavior, yes or no, that's what he had been groomed to do, and that's what I mean. That's what I mean. In, in becoming a trainer, you really have to find the way to bring that person forth or that group forth so that they begin to engage in their own thinking process and you've just given them the eight building blocks and now they're going to tackle the problems that create struggle 
anti-flow in their work area through smart placement. So I want to do, this has been a very, very long um, front load. I want to do two or three shows on training. And then we've got time. Don't we have time? Many of us are in self-quarantine now. We are in social distancing. We are home. This show that I'm recording right now will air sometime in uh, towards the end of April, if not first week in May. That's just begun. The social distancing happened about two or three weeks ago. Boy, did it happen fast. So let me take the opportunity to bring you into the training function. We have very rich, very complete experience in this. And if you don't have to be a trainer to benefit by many of the things I'm about to say, I know the quality of my work. And I know it will be helpful. So, We're going to begin that now. I was hoping to get through a certain mechanism by the end of the show today. I won't get that far, but this may take three shows. It may take four, but I want to talk about the training environment. I want to talk about the homework. I want to talk about the training arc, how to prepare. I want to talk about normalizing activity, what we do to get a group ready for learning. I want to talk about checking for understanding. The trainer is the, the, the anchor point for the transformation. This isn't, we don't train in the classroom and then turn it over to the supervisor. No, we have a training for the supervisor so that they can become a viable and a useful coach when the trainer goes on to another cycle. The supervisor is definitely going to be involved, but we don't just train and then turn people loose. This is a learn and do, learn and do, learn and do. And people have to be brought into this. They have to learn how to, they have to learn how to learn and learn how to do. And you have to, as a trainer, learn how to see and how to support and how to teach with no answers. That's very interesting as well. That's very rich. I love to train this stuff, and I love to train trainers. So let me begin this, okay? Did I tell you that if you've got a question or you want to email us, you can do so at radio at visualworkplace.com? Honestly, I wish I were more (laughs) market-oriented. Somebody just stuck a note under my nose saying, would you please announce our website? And our email, okay, our website is visualworkplace.com, and the email, you can contact us through our website, or you can just use radio at visualworkplace.com. Love to hear from you. So, let me set up the premise, and, and the name of the show, which we'll move over to the next uh, next episode as well, is How to Become a Brilliant Visual Workplace Trainer. How to Become a Brilliant Visual Workplace Trainer. Are there natural-born visual workplace trainers? Is training visuality so different from training other topics like lean? 
How much is a trainer responsible for people's learning and for their implementation results? What are some common training mistakes? How do I avoid them? And what are the tricks? And what are the golden secrets? Okay. Successfully training workplace visuality creates results that build the bottom line and strengthen employee engagement and cultural alignment. It happens in the training room and it happens on the floor during the implementation. Factors that influence that is the training room space itself is giving and receiving feedback to the trainer in training, is the continuity that you set up in teaching and in teaching values. It is a habit of not relying heavily, so heavily on people's creativity that everything becomes a brainstorm. Success in training visuality recognizes the central role of supplies. Remember we talked about the supply cart, the supply cabinet, having supplies handy. Remember we talked about that in I think the last show, it might have been the show before. It also depends on not standardizing too soon. It depends on what I mentioned already, doing your homework as a trainer. And it also depends on training effectively across multiple shifts. And defining and supporting reasonable expectations of senior management in terms of their role. So, let us begin that. So, I'm going to begin with the premise, which is something that I've noticed. Training visuality is different. When we train anywhere, our first job as trainers is to inspire first. You inspire first. You open the vision first. This, for me, is not reduced to what's in it for me. It's nothing so crass and so materialistic as what, what's it going to do for me? What's in it for me? It's not like that. We inspire the human spirit. We present a vision that is compelling and reachable. And it is reachable in the moment. So people say, ah, I get it. It's one of the purposes of the vision place that we talked about at the beginning of the toolbox. We inspire first, and then we inform. That's how transformation happens. And remember, I said this a long, long time ago, a visual implementation of visual conversion. I'm usually talking about a visual conversion that, all, that begins with operator-led visuality work that makes sense. will trigger a 15 to 30% increase in productivity. You can think of it as throughput. A 15 to 20% we've seen as a documented high of 42%. And it wasn't just because the company was, that particular department was such, in such sorry shape. No, it was because of the incredible 
analysis and insight and improvements that the operator teams created. And yes, that was three shifts. It's not easy. If you're already lean, we often see 15% increase in in throughput because there are usually huge drops between functions, between departments. We're not paying attention to the macro flow. We got the micro flow. We got the standard work. We don't have visuality. Visuality creates visual linkages. Okay. So to get to that inspiring, informing, and achieving these kinds of results, here's your first requirement as a trainer of visuality. You're going to have to love the stuff. You're going to have to fall in love with visuality as a paradigm, with the spirit and the expression of the visual workplace. You're going to have to encounter and embrace yourself as a visual being and become curious about this visual world we live in and understand it is visual because we are visual beings. 50% of our brain function is dedicated to finding and interpreting visual data, finding meaning, finding pattern. You yourself will have to become, as a trainer, a visual thinker. The purpose of the training, the purpose of all nine of the methodologies that I've developed over the last 35 years, is to create visual thinkers, whether they are operators or CEOs, supervisors, managers, accounting, machinists, doesn't matter. So that's the first element that's needed, fall in love. Because when you do, You will crawl into the examples that you teach from and you will own them. You will own your own thinking. You will trigger a delicious curiosity in your own brain. When you teach visuality to people, you are walking them through methodologies that are designed to fire their imagination through examples, and through the process of seeing their world, your world anew. And understanding that information expressed as visual devices creates sharing. Suddenly, the world becomes a place that we become qualified to understand. The world that we see and understand triggers either progressive behaviors or deficit behaviors. And you begin to notice that as a visual thinker. And this becomes your pleasure. This is using the gifts of your mind and your glory. You teach from that vantage point. Training is a form of cultivation. You inspire and inform on a cognitive level, on the level of knowledge, content, and also on an instinctive or, if you will, intuitive level. As a trainer, you are cultivating the I. That means the individual, but it also means the individual will. What do I need to know that I don't know right now in order to do my work? What do I need to share 
that others need to know, that I need to share so they can do their work more safely, more completely, higher quality, less struggle. You cultivate the I, and you know, you know what I've learned? That when we give people a new language through which to express themselves, visuality, they grow. They grow because they can grow. It's the same for operators, supervisors, executives. They come up. They can grow because when we begin to address the information deficits in our immediate work, the work that we struggle with, whether we're a CEO or a supervisor or an operator, and we get rid of those deficits, we create space in our brain and our heart. The stress dissolves a little bit because we have a modicum of control. That's the purpose of the need-to-know question, to gain control over our corner of the world, a little modicum of control, and that opens a space in us. And you know what happens when a human being or a plant finds space in an otherwise closed container? They grow to fill that space. They grow to fill it. That margin allows us to grow. In a way, another way to say grow is relax. I've spoken to you before about the mushroom. I encountered this mushroom one one summer when I was on Martha's Vineyard, which is an island off the coast of, of either Rhode Island or Massachusetts, whichever one you want to get, wherever you take the boat from. And... There was a mushroom sitting there in the middle of an asphalt road, not far from where I saw Jackie Onassis, oh, Kennedy, Jackie Kennedy, on a bicycle with her then-boyfriend Maurice. Just about maybe seven or 800 feet from that memorable spot, there was a little mushroom, and it was sitting with a little cap of asphalt on its head. It pushed through. Because it needed room. It had an ineluctable, unstoppable need to grow. We have that. If a mushroom has it, I assure you, we have it too. So that, that, that's the basic kind of feeling paradigm of what happens when you, when you train the delicious methodologies of of visuality. You know, I don't know which came first. I really don't. I've been doing visuality for decades. And I have also been meditating for decades. Decades. And for me, uh, the two kind of have merged. When I meditate, I sit quietly and I just commune. There's no content. There's no, I'm not thinking about anything, nor am I following steps. I sit, I relax, I feel. It's taken me decades to feel, but I can now go inside and feel. And what I feel is a gratitude. 
it just comes up. As soon as I relax, I start feeling, unless I'm really, really have had a very bad day, <laughs> then it takes me a lot longer. I need to take a hot bath first, do something, <laughs> watch Netflix. But I sit in myself and I bring all this mental energy, because I'm really a mental case. I love to write and I love to think. I bring that energy down into my heart and my heart opens like a little flower, a little flower. It relaxes. All of that stuff that's in my head comes down and it kind of nourishes my heart. It changes and I sit and I commune. Who am I communing with? I don't know. But whatever it is, it's bigger than I am. I'm communing with something that is bigger than I am. You might call it God. Someone else might call it consciousness. Somebody else might call it gratitude. And that's what I do when I meditate. I feel a flow inside of myself. And what I look for as I've developed these trainings is a way for that to happen as people learn, for people to feel good as they're learning and to have an honest curiosity, a really a genuine curiosity about discovering new things. I find the whole idea of discovery teaching to be a very rich opportunity to both understand how far you can go in training and helping people grow and how far you can go in yourself. I, I often talk to trainers. I remember this several times last fall with this group I'm working with in uh, Mexico. Young trainers, engineers. Uh, they went through a certain kind of socialization as an engineer. And I would watch them teach. And I would say, I remember one gentleman. His name is Edder. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person. Wonderful heart. Very clever engineer and he was very competent and I said I said you know you are a very competent trainer and I have very little feedback let's let's go have a cup of tea or let's go let's let's do something else because I don't have much to tell you except this one thing you have to make sure you're learning when you're teaching you have to make sure you are learning when you're teaching I call it, Edder, discovery teaching. And the way that you learn is you listen to the people you're training in a slightly different way than you're doing now. You listen to what they're saying. And if you get it too fast, you're not really listening. Listen to what's underneath. Listen. Establish a deeper flow with them, and that will teach you. Because if you're not growing in this teaching, the teaching is unsuccessful. This is simply a condition that you need to get acquainted with. And you'll enjoy yourself so much more and it will be so much more rewarding for you. And it will be more rewarding to, the, to your students, to the operators. Discovery teaching. And I have nothing else to say to you because you're competent. But you need to listen, you need to receive, and you need to discover as you're teaching, discovery teaching. Work on that. And let me see if the next time I'll point out opportunities whenever you're either talking to me or someone else. I'll say, now, that's discovery. What you just did is discovery teaching. Bring that into the classroom. Bring it onto the floor. 
So this is a very, you know, for me, this is a, just the juiciest topic. I love visuality and I love teaching it. I've, and I will say that we learned a great deal. I want, I really want, I ask that these, uh, these episodes are useful to you. You've been sending me emails. I so appreciate it. You can certainly send me an email on this training of um, trainers that we're going to be doing. Didn't get quite as far as I had hoped <laughs> today. Not at all. Not at all. Yikes. But we have time, don't we? We have time. Time is abundant. So we'll continue the discussion, and I'll give you detail. Next week, we're going to go over the the training room itself, the environment for for training, and then I have seven premises for training that we give to our trainers so that they understand that what they're doing is important. This isn't casual, and while we may be building on your training ability that you brought into the room, training that you've done before we've met, we want to give you our take on things so that you can integrate that, use the parts that will help you become even better. Mm-hmm. We want to build your knowledge. We want to build your know-how. We want to build your confidence. We want to build your leadership in training. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm not sure your days are that busy right now, but maybe this will be listened to for two years from now and you'll be busy again, busy, busy, busy with your busy life of work and all the other things that we are putting on hold right now. God bless you. And May God bring you health and safety for all, for yourself and all whom you love. So, this is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak. We'll be right back.